Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Agassicles Stamos from GearWorks.com and the E2KG Network podcasting channel on YouTube, back with another episode of What's Your Issue, episode number two. Hey, you guys! Steven, my partner in crime here as always. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. All right. We are getting off to a late start. Totally, totally my fault. Slight adjustment in my time management scheme uh, from this morning actually uh, has... Uh, replicated throughout my day and caused me to be behind as I didn't have a lot of the stuff pre-staged that I normally would. But we are going to go ahead and talk comics once again every week. Steven and I get together. We talk about the books that were in last week's poll. We go through an on-air podcast review of three issues apiece for a total of six issues. Then we talk about TBTIRTW to Bitra, the best thing we read last week for each of us. Also, we call out any honorable mentions, which would be books that, on a review scale of 1 to 10, with half-point increments, would have scored an 8.0 or above in a review. And then we finally give you our polls for the following week so that you know what's coming down the pike and what we'll be discussing on next week's podcast. If you didn't know, and if you didn't guess, you should have. It's a spoiler show. We're going to get into all the books and all the details. It's why we do it on Monday nights, because we figure everybody pulls their books on Wednesday. Hopefully you're done reading them by the weekend. You have a couple days of downtime. Now is a good time for us to talk the review section. Uh, and uh, But if you haven't, for some reason, read one of the books that we're going to be talking about, the books that we're going to be talking about are in the show notes on YouTube and on SoundCloud, and it should be replicated on Pocket Cast as well. So you should kind of know what's in the agenda. Um, if you haven't finished reading those books and they're in your poll, go away, go finish the issue. It'll take you 15 to 30 minutes and then come back and listen to our talking points. We're going to kick off this week's episode with me talking about Robotech number 13. Now, I reviewed Robotech on my website, gearworks.com, uh, maybe three, four months ago, uh, issue number 10, and came away not hugely M pressed. Um, it's it's written a little for a younger age group. Um, it's written a little bit maybe for a, a, the manga crowd, um, but predominantly, I didn't really particularly care for the art. It was a little overly cartoony, a little too Saturday morning ish. Um, but, but they were trying to match some kind of mature themes into it. It was just kind of janky from a feel standpoint. Um, but there's a new artist on this month, I noticed, uh, and, and, and maybe uh, Henry Prasetya had rolled on earlier. I'm not exactly sure because this is not one of my uh, recurring pulls, um, but I really like his art. It's far more detailed. It, it looks like a slightly more mature comic. I, 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 I don't, not really settled on that term, but, um, but he's doing a lot of uh, you know, a, a, a lot better. It's more to my liking than before. Story and plot-wise, I still kind of have some issues uh, with this comic. There were some weird, and maybe it may be cultural. It may be because it's it's it has its origin in in Japanese culture, uh, Eastern cultures. All right, hold on a second. I'm sorry, I gotta still trying to come back from a cold. Uh, but uh, there are some weird things like they're on a they're on a starship. They've been on it for a year. Um, I don't understand why the female officers wear skirts on the bridge. It's just kind of janky. It doesn't make sense. Um, and it's not like in a Star Trek kind of way. Like they're, 
like their full length skirts, like from the waist down to like below their knees. Like it just, it's Star Trek. They were one piece, um, you know, both in the, in the original uh, series and in the next generation. And, and then in the next, in the next generation, like men wore some of the one piece skirts. So I just really, I, it, it's, it's this weird kind of thing where it, it seems like it's trying to be progressive and forward thinking, but then it's still trapped in these antiquated uh, male centric views. Um, and there's still a couple points where the dialogue gets a little, uh, like I said, like 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 Saturday morning, not only Saturday morning cartoons, but very Eastern, like with Western voiceover dubs, um, cartoonish. Uh, but but overall, I preferred this comic. The overall setup for this book was uh, the SDF one uh, is returning to Earth. Um, it turns out that the uh, the captain's parents are principal decision makers on Earth. The father's an admiral. The mother is a senator. They are coming to the resolution that they need to send the SDF-1 away so that the Zentraeidi do not attack the Earth a second time. Um, and in the midst of this, the Zentraeidi have actually followed the SDF-1 to Earth and launch a surprise attack. Um, the Supreme Commander of the Zentraeidi is tr- actually trying to uh, have killed, uh, and I can't remember all the names of all the cast of characters, because I, like I said, this is not one of my recurring pulls, but it's trying to have killed one of her rivals in the command structure, uh, but that individual has figured that she would make an assassination attempt during this attack, so uh, so uh, so he's prepared for it. Um, like I said, overall better than it was before. I scored this book overall, I think a 7.5. I'm actually going to need to look that up. Maybe I didn't score it that high. I think it was a 7.0, actually. Um but like I said, overall, just way better than uh, when I read it a few months ago. Uh, Steven, have you ever read any of the Robotech comics? No. Okay. So yeah, I, like I said, uh, scored it a 7.0 uh, on a 10-point scale. Um, so the next book that I want to talk about in, in review fashion is uh, Immortal Hulk number 7 um, by Al Ewing with art by Joe Bennett. Now, this is a book that I've been on since its launch, seven issues in. Um, it is, if, you, if you're not familiar with what they're doing with the book, it is written a little bit more like a horror comic. It's definitely a case of the macabre. I kind of think a little Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, Joe Bennett's version of the Hulk, as he's penciling it, um, is a little more, like I said, Frankenstein-ish, kind of Jekyll and Hyde-ish, kind of a monster kind of face. Um, I wound up scoring this book overall a, a 7.0 out of 10, I've been predominantly up in the series. It typically comes in for me at about a 7.5, just below great. I've stayed on it because it's just interesting what they're doing and what they're doing with the Hulk. Um, in this issue, at the end of last issue, we had the Avengers show up, and it's a, a very popular uh, mixture. You had Captain Marvel, Captain America, now that he's done with this whole Secret Empire thing. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Thor, uh, She-Hulk. And this version of the She-Hulk is being drawn and written as if uh, Jen Walters has kind of lost control of the beast part of, of the Hulk, of the She-Hulk, Hulk, She-Hulk persona. Um, apparently a thing that happened to her when, uh, when, when Banner died. Um, and, and, and there's some dialogue that goes back and forth in this issue when she's engaged with the, the Hulk um, that suggests that that, that kind of part of your subconscious or a, a corner pocket of your psyche 
is what asserts itself and determines how and in what form the Hulk manifests itself. So, uh, so, so Walter Langowski with Sasquatch uh, was a thing that was heavily driven by his ego and his sense of insecurity. Um, Bruce, I mean, the Hulk's representation is typically, you know, rep, you know, manifest based on the caged rage and anger that really exists within Bruce that he kind of keeps under control and beneath the surface. Uh, with Jen, what what Hulk suggests in this issue is that her representation has always been the idealistic representation of how she wants people to see her. And so that's why she Hulk has typically kind of been drawn as, um, as an, as an, as an object of beauty. Uh, it's, 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 it's because Jen wants people to see her as a strong, muscular, powerful woman, but not as a monster. And that's why her persona represents as it does. Uh, she has lost control of that (laughs) nuance in this, uh, and, and, and looks very much more so like the monster beast kind of Hulk that Joe Bennett is drawing. My my problem, I, uh, man, my problem with this issue is it's. I, I get that Ewing is trying to do something kind of kind of a little retro, uh, but not so retro that they would have brought in like Mike Allred to do his nineteen fifties nineteen sixties style uh, Silver Age of comics um, <clears throat> uh, treatment, and hopefully we will get Stephen back. Uh, he just uh, he just dropped off, um, but uh, but you know the problem. So I get that he's trying to do this retro thing, and for the time for the issues that he's done, that's been more like a horror comic. I've dug that. I've been into it. In this issue, I guess they kind of do something that's still retro, but feels very antiquated. Uh, you know the, the macabre kind of style comic has has felt a little Victorian era, which has been uh, enjoyable, particularly while I've been reading Newberry and Hobbs, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. But in this issue, uh, the, the the setup and the reason it feels very very comic booky um, and 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 stands out and feels a little janky is you have six of the most powerful Avengers that have ever been a part of the team. Uh, and so Steven, Steven's had a computer crash. He's going to get back on as soon as he can. Um, and so I'm going to continue charging ahead with my books, and hopefully we'll get him back in here, and he will be able to riff on his. They, what they do is they have they they each attack the Hulk in kind of this round-robin carousel fashion, and I'm just like, if you have Thor and She-Hulk and and and... And Captain Marvel and Iron Man and the Hulkbuster, why would you all attack him one on one individually as a time at a time? I get that you maybe want to maintain some reserve forces and you don't want to throw all your, you know, poker chips down on the table all at once. Um, but then maybe you have you know Thor and She Hulk attack him, and then you hold you know Iron Man and Captain Marvel in reserve. For some reason, Captain Marvel is the one that's relegated to get all of the evacuees out of the area. And I'm like, why wouldn't you send Captain America to do that as he'll be the least effective against the Hulk? Now, m- maybe you do that because, you know, American opinion isn't so high on Captain America after the whole Secret Empire Hydra thing. Okay, maybe. Um, but it's the Hulk, right? It's a, it's a, it's an extinction level event that's going on. Um, so, the, so the way the issue is written, you know, 
Thor mixes it, mixes it up with the Hulk first, and I, I think then they have Cap step in, then it's Iron Man, and then it's She-Hulk, and, and maybe She-Hulk and, and Iron Man are swapped, but it just feels, man, it, it's it, like it's an old book, like straight out of the 70s, and I'm like, you know, when you would ha- when you would have the characters attack one-on-one so that each one would kind of get a little page time, but but tactically and, and plot-wise, it kind of doesn't make sense to me. So the issue fell a little flat for me. Uh, Joe Bennett's pencils are, are, are on point. I can't um, say anything about the art. There's a great scene um, where, uh, you know, Tony has made the decision to call down this super powerful arc laser or whatever to destroy the Hulk. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody's wondering whether or not they did the right thing. And uh, there's a scene between a child who's an evacuee and Carol and, as Carol's contemplating, you know, whether or not they've done the right thing or not, because normally you would think Carol would have been all for, like, calling down the arc laser to destroy the Hulk. Uh, but I think she has a couple lines in there that mention that she, you know, in the wake of Civil War II, is definitely trying to take a, maybe a different approach. Um, it kind of seemed curious to me that it appears that she's still chairman of the Avengers after uh, all the stir and drang that's gone on with her. Um, but, uh... But, uh, but there's a scene uh, where the child asks her, you know, when they'll be able to go back home and, and surely, and, you know, everything back home will be okay and hands her a little action figure of herself. Um, and you can kind of clearly see in her face the realization of the choices that they have made. Um, so, it's, so, it's, so it's a very interesting issue. Uh, like I said, I almost wanted to, um, excuse me, to grade this book a skosh bit higher because of the ending, and the ending, like, for all I say about whatever went on earlier in the book, um, the the ending is awesome, because uh, what, they, what they have is, you, you cut, you, you see uh, the Hulk's body sitting there burned, um, but we know that the whole deal is that basically he, he comes back at night, um, in kind of this Halloween-ish, you know, werewolf kind of <clears throat> Jekyll and Hyde portrayal that they're giving him. The camera cuts away, you cut to a guy walking through the shadow base or whatever the army is doing about the Get the Hulk project, essentially. Um, and there's a guy there doing the evil genius monologue. Uh, and then the camera, and he's talking about how, you know, but but we're going to make sure you don't come back. And then we're going to capture all your secrets so we can, you know, build an army or use you for mass destruction. Um, and then the camera cuts to a laboratory table, and they have taken the Hulk and sliced him up into pieces and put him in jars like something straight out of like a serial killer horror flick. It's an absolutely awesome ending. It absolutely sticks the landing. Um, almost enough to make me forgive the transgressions of the earlier pages, but those earlier pages, you know, took up a large chunk of the book. So, uh, so again, at the end, uh, I wound up giving it a, uh, a 7.0 out of 10. Um, and didn't uh, didn't score it that high again. Uh, tying up with Robotech. Uh, the last book of mine that's in the reviews section, which I'm going to go ahead and do because Stephen is not back yet, was a uh, Miss Marvel number thirty-five. Um, so uh, you know, Miss Marvel is a wonderful character. I definitely applaud her entrance into the Marvel universe. I love her in Champions. Um, the only thing I kind of said about this issue was I was just glad this arc was over. Uh, I've been on record as saying 
I'm not really super crazy about uh, having read through the thing with her and the Shocker, um, or her and Bruno. Uh, like I said, I, I for whatever reason, I tend to like the book more when it's her with her female friends kind of going through the, the teen friendship thing of growth rather than the girl-boy thing. Um, so, uh, so in this issue, they basically resolve the Shocker thing. Um, they... Uh, there's a lot of port- portaling in and out of different time slices and dimensions. Uh, they meet the blue, uh, the blue girl uh, in the uh, in the in between space uh, as they did last issue or the issue before. Uh, but this time, Kamala grabs the Shocker and shoves him into one of the portals uh, and brings him with her, uh, and then tries to shake him free in this portal dimension so that he will be trapped. Um, Bruno, in the meantime, is trying to get the portals to close, figures it out in a stroke of engineering genius, um, and then uh, Kamala is able to escape the clutches, literally clutches of the Shocker, and get out of the in-between space uh, before Bruno closes the portal. Now, part of the reason I also didn't really like this issue is it kind of becomes a throwaway arc in general, because the Shocker still makes it out. So... If there had been more of a consequence and the Shocker had kind of been trapped forever in this in-between space or maybe would have been taken off the chessboard uh, for years and then maybe allowed him to emerge more powerful um, than than he's been because I feel like he's kind of a sucker kind of level villain, um, then, then there would have been more consequences and it would have been more impactful. But he just drops out of like a latent closing portal at the end and arrives in Brooklyn dropping in front of Miles Morales who kind of just stares at him from the side of a building with a set of headphones on while he's like eating a snack. Um, and granted, I guess miles couldn't apprehend him since he wasn't in the, you know, actual act of committing a crime, but still it's a little kind of miles just sees the shocker appear. and doesn't like even bother to investigate or see if he's up to no good. So the whole thing is a little bit weird. Excuse me, uh, hopefully I will uh, be over this cold pretty soon. Um, so, at any rate, I scored the issue a 6.5 out of 10. Uh, I continue to appreciate what Nico Leone, and uh, I can't remember who's on colors, or if Leone does his own colors uh, on this book. Um, I continue to kind of like what they're doing uh, color-wise, but again, uh, Leone's style is a bit cartoony for me, uh, and I go back and forth between whether I really like his particular style, uh, uh, Ian Herring is the color artist, or if it's a little off-putting for me. Um, G. Willow Wilson, the writing style is fine, um, but again, plot-wise, in the overall script, I just wasn't particularly interested in this arc, and I'm glad that hopefully we're moving on to something else. Uh, next segment, I'm going to go ahead and go through, I'm going to keep pounding ahead, because uh, I'm not sure if Steven's going to make it back before I have to wrap up. Uh, the best thing I read this week uh, actually turned out to be Newberry and Hobbs, The Undying Number 2 by George Mann and da- with art by Dan Boltwood. This is another uh, comic that I read the first one of and wasn't really particularly happy with. Uh, it was not Victorian enough. Um, while I guess I would concurrently say it a little too much mimicked uh, Sherlock Holmes um, and maybe some of the other Victorian era detective stories that we've all grown accustomed to but didn't really set itself apart. Uh, In this issue, I started feeling a little more separation. Uh, There was a little more assertion of Veronica Hobbs, the female protagonist and partner 
of, uh, I think his name is Nathan Newberry. Um, she feels a little more powerful in this episode and a little more equal. Uh, the narration is still by her, but I, I just felt like the voice was stronger. Uh, the art style, I think, and, and overall art quality, I think, was also higher and stronger to the point where um, I actually didn't mind the, the cartooniness that was that I that I you know veered away from in the first issue was utilized here in a way that I felt was more appropriate. Pretty decent creature work. Um, it had not, nothing as complicated as you would see in BPRD or a Hellboy comic or um, or a Cullen Bunn, you know, a Harrow County issue. Uh, but still, um, you know, a, a appropriate to the Victorianism that's represented in the comic. Not too much, you know, a bit of the macabre, but not way over the top in, like, graphic realism. Um, uh, in, in, in this issue, they're investigating it again. Uh, we're, we're a little rushed and not as prepared this week. Uh, but um, but uh, Newberry and Hobbs' previous enemy, who is apparently still alive and has been continuing to experiment on humans, which was apparently his shtick before, uh, has experimented on and, and wound up yielding uh, what has become an entire race of sewer-dwelling humanoids uh, who are capable of communicating via some level of, of broken English, uh, but have actually grown up to be a whole society. So there are men, women, uh, and children. Uh, they capture uh, Newberry, Ho Newberry Hobbs and two of their allies from Scotland Yard, uh, take them down into the sewers and imprison them in a very kind of low-rent cage uh, that they are able to escape from, uh, and as they're making their escape, uh, some uh, quietly uh, they are intercepted by they are discovered by some children. A fight breaks out. Uh, uh, Newberry actually throws one of the children off his back. The child ends up in the water, can't swim, and I would think I would hope that if you're like a creature feature and you live in the sewer, that your children would learn how to swim. But uh, but this kid didn't. Uh, so Newberry jumps in and saves him. Uh, and the sewer, the sewer men and sewer women uh, are grudgingly appreciative of his act uh, sufficiently to allow the four protagonists to depart. Uh, when they depart, they get they make their way back to Scotland Yard, where uh, where some uh, uh, previous uh, villains that they had captured, henchmen that they had captured, uh, actually had bombs planted inside them and detonated them at the end of last issue. Um, uh, one of the lead inspectors who was with Newberry and Hobbs arrives back and sees the level of destruction. Uh, by the same token, they are starting now to get this notification that other people have been dropped off. Uh, we see one panel with the arch, with the well, with the villain uh, pictured who informs one of his lieutenants to release the carrier. So I can only think that these are humans who have been infected with something. Um, uh, but... Uh, but but they are those people are now being dropped off throughout the city. They have uh, their chests have apparently been opened and sewed back together. So it's, a, it's definitely something that gives you a bit of the Wiggins. Uh, again, I appreciated that in the art style uh, and just the the book was significantly better than the first issue was overall. Uh, I wound up scoring the book a a, a seven point five on a ten point scale. So. Overall, for my polls this week, it was a pretty soft week. Uh, it oh. wasn't... Hey, Steven. Uh, yeah, I got through. Sorry. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Uh, so, um, so not a particularly strong week. I actually had no honorable mentions because uh, I didn't have any books that scored uh, 8.0 or above. It, it topped out with Newberry and Hobbs, The Undying, number two at 7.5. Uh, 
the only other thing that I'll mention then without having any honorable mentions is um, uh, so there were no 8.0s but uh, Newberry and Hobbs the Undying number 2 uh, which is by uh, Titan Comics I believe by the way uh, I should have mentioned that for the publisher um, but uh, neck and neck with, with that was uh, was uh, Red Hood Outlaw number 27 um and, uh, and, and in that issue, you have some great scenes between Jason and Bruce, um, with uh, Bruce telling Jason that Roy Harper has died, which occurred in the pages of Heroes in Crisis number one. Uh, it was it was a bit of a setup for me because I, I hit the page and I realized that Bruce was about to give him some tragic news, and I kind of took a pause because I was like, this is going to be a big deal, and I just kind of waited before I turned the page. I actually thought he was about to tell him about Dick, who we know has been shot in the head um, and is now has some degree of, of brain and neural damage and memory loss. Um, and I'm, so he tells him about Roy, which I appreciated, but then they just walk away and I'm like, wait, but Jason doesn't know about Dick Grayson either. So, uh, so I thought that was a little bit interesting. Uh, and again, it was a good issue. Um, I kind of like what they're doing with Red Hood Outlaw now. That's uh, a very interesting dialogue between Jason and Bruce, with Bruce telling Jason, um, you're never coming back to Gotham, uh, not even Arkham. Um, but also says at the end, you know, he doesn't, uh, but he doesn't, Jason thinks that Bruce hates him uh, and is disappointed in him so much. Uh, but Bruce tells him, I've never hated you, right? I like you're, sometimes you're a dumbass and sometimes I have to straighten you out, but like, I've never, I've never hated you. So it was a great, some great scenes. I was very tempted to pick that as my best thing that I'd read this week. Uh, I admit that I worried a little bit that I was picking it that if I had picked it as the best thing I'd read this week, it might have been because I was more strongly biased to select something that was on my personal uh, recurring pull list um, because I get into the continuity so much. So, it, admittedly, I, I may be sheared away from that deliberately um, to reach out and tap Newberry and Hobbs, number two, the Undying, number two. But at, at the end of the day, I still felt like it was appropriate for me to make that selection. So, Steven, I'm going to let you go ahead and run through your reviews and your best thing that I read this week, and then uh, we will catch back up when you hit honorable mentions, and uh, and then we can talk through what our pulls are for next week. All right. All right. Um, my first review I'm going to give is Titans number 27. It's by Dan Ambonette and Brent Peppies. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Um this issue was about uh it was about the Titans. Um they weren't they going through a whole bunch of um mourning grieving because uh they have Roy Harper who just um got killed off in Hero Crisis. <clears throat> they only don't even show that in the beginning with Donna Choi putting the flower on Roy's Roy Harper's um grave and then it cuts to um the Titans talking about what happened to Nightwing when he got shot in the head and he's in the hospital recovering and the Titans grieve about that and there's also uh, a character that they saved a couple of issues before because their mission is to save um all the characters that have been turned to metahumans since the Dark Knight's battle um, 
event has happened and there's some there's something in the atmosphere that's affecting some humans turning to metas and one got into a coma so they've been monitoring him and um he suddenly passes passes away in the issue they try to do everything they can to save him and then he ends up passing away so they're dealing with three things affecting him in all sorts of ways and um I really, there's a, that's one of the reasons why I really did like this issue because um, they actually did grieve and they had a lot in their mind and they they try to do the best they can, all the Titans, and there was interact, there was, each character had their moments of grief and I like how they did that all in one issue. And I was pretty surprised because I haven't been really liking Titans that much, but this one was a really strong one. So was this just a Talking Heads issue, and it was just them dealing with Roy? Because Roy, because Roy hasn't been operating as a member of the Titans, has he? No, he hasn't. He he left the Titans during uh, it was before uh, Dark Knight's Metals. Like he left during sometime around there. And then they just—I don't know—they just started talking about him now. That's about it. Okay, cool. So I mean, you know, a mid a mid arc swing uh, is uh, is nothing to sweet at. Interesting. So Abnett is on Titans, Aquaman, and I think he's doing—I can't remember if he's doing one of the Justice League Metal offshoot books. What was that? Is he doing Justice League Odyssey? Uh, I don't. I think he, yeah, he is. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he writes a lot of titles. I notice. I think there's more he writes. Good. It's it's very it's very cool and very it's interesting, but also very well deserved and very cool to see him back doing a number of I, I hate to say mainstream books, but after after so long where he was kind of only out on the fringes doing uh, his creator owned work, um, it's nice to see him having like steady mainstream center of continuity kind of content. Because uh, I think he's he's a different kind of writer, and I and I think he's needed um, in mainstream comics. So it's uh, yeah, I, he's I love really good. Him. I think he's one of the greatest writers I've seen in comic book history. Um, so yeah, I give this issue an eight because it really did deal with every character's emotions, going through different types of grief, and that was pretty interesting. And uh, so, yeah, I'm gonna go to the next issue. Is Ben Riley's Scarlet Spider number 25? This is the final issue of the series, and uh, it's by Peter David, and the art was Bruno Avalarea. And uh, I really did, I thought this issue was okay. I it did end the chapter pretty well, but it was looked like it kind of rushed. So I would think I'll give it like a six, six or six point five out of ten, and it's just it was like the weakest issue I think they, Peter Dave has written in this book, and the art wasn't so great. It was also rushed. Uh, it was like stick figure kind of art. So I just wanted to talk about this series because I have been liking it consistently. And I've noticed it's been it was falling apart in the 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 ending issues of the series, and I found that got canceled. So, 
Now, is, is Peter David a writer that you normally stick with? Yes, it is. he is. Uh, he's one of my favorites, too. I really enjoy his writing from since uh, X Factor. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. And I liked his um, Spider-Man 2099 series okay. as yep. well. Very cool. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been liking this series a lot because of the... Um, this Scarlet Spider, I mean, this Ben Riley was a clone of Ben Riley. He was a clone of a clone, and he was a, he had a different personality. And in Clone Conspiracy, he had like a a very selfish personality. At the same time, he did kind of like he was he was sort of demented. I can I can say like he had a personality of caring at the same time being self very selfish and i could normally see him as a villain and i thought it was a cool concept to have him as a new jackal and that's what he was doing in clone conspiracy but then out of nowhere for some reason they decided to make him have his own series and instead of him becoming i mean staying as a jackal he tried to redeem himself as becoming a hero and Throughout the issue, throughout the series, you can see that it doesn't work out for him. And I liked how this this series did end in a way that he realized that he realizes that he can't be a hero. It's not really what who he was meant to be, and decides to be a villain again. So I'm glad they took that path because him being a hero wasn't interesting for me. Go man. So, talk to me about what's going on in uh, X Men Black. As uh, as uh, have they reset the new status quo yet for the X Men, or are they still kind of dealing with wrangling the previous versions of uh, Cyclops, Phoenix, and uh, Iceman and uh, and Beast from the past out, out of the picture? Um. Well, this X Men Black is a whole bunch of one shots. It's it's all one shot with a whole bunch of villains. And I guess, I don't know, for some reason, Magneto was not a villain in the book. And I mean, he's been a hero for quite a while. I know X-Men Blue was turning into a villain again, but that book just turned into a hero again, the the, X, the Black Magneto one. And now he's going to, now he's doing Mojo. And, uh, and I really did... Is by Scott Ackerman and Nick Bradshaw, the two writers, and the artist was Andre Lima Arujo, and um, I really thought this issue was pretty interesting because it did um, humanize Mojo, and the issue he wants to destroy the new the new X Men because. He he hates the the, the new X Men characters like the young mutant characters, and he wants to destroy them with his own version of the original X Men. It was kind of weird because he ends up using the Sentinels of original X Men, but you do see him going to a Starbucks and he wants to get a coffee, and he he uh, tries to. Um, hit on this girl and he noticed that the girl gives him like a a really bad attitude and for some reason that made her 
and fall in love with her even more. So um, she walks off and Glob actually is there at the same time. And he tries to talk to Mojo and like show him how he can... Uh, he gives him a few points to be like be his wingman on the girl and he he like he kind of humanizes him a bit and uh at uh, um one of um Mojo's assistants uh goes uses uses a sentinel to attack the young X-Men and and the girl was accidentally ran into the, where the Sentinels and Young X-Men were. And Mojo decides to just knock everything down, like hit the Sentinel and try to save the girl. And decides to take her away and hopefully date next time in the in the future or something like that. So it kind of ends off that way. So I thought that was, it was pretty interesting. I'll, I'll give it a at eight because I really did like how they humanized Mojo in a weird way and it was pretty funny. It has some comedy elements in there and it was pretty entertaining. So that's pretty much it for the reviews. Cool, man. And uh, you have a very interesting pick for uh, the best thing you read last week. I'm assuming this is a one-shot. So what is going on with the What If series? Have, are they, have they brought this back or yeah they have brought them back they have they're gonna have a whole bunch of what ifs it's like i don't know it's like over like uh it's over five like i don't know like 10 what ifs i haven't i didn't keep count on how many but i know they're gonna release a lot and and i've been i've been picking them up. I didn't like the last two what ifs that they came out last week. They were a bit okay, but this one was really pretty interesting. I really liked the concept. Is the what if what if Peter Parker was the Punisher number one by Carl Potts and Juan Juanan Ramirez? And um I really thought that this was the best issue of the week because uh it gave Peter Parker a different dynamic or perspective of him having like his origin story is a bit different instead of not killing the the burglar, the burglar that killed Uncle Ben. He ends up killing him in this universe. Like he actually takes on the path for revenge. But this Peter Parker is still somewhat redeemable because he gives the character, he gives the villains second chances. And if they don't make up their second chance, he will kill them off. So <laughs> he was a bit redeemable. And uh, he, it, there was interest, another interesting thing was that uh, he was using his intelligence, like his science, to defeat villains with different bullets. With, with with every time you fought a villain, he had to use a bu- different bullets with different weaknesses. Okay, so a little, uh, <laughs> almost a little kind of Green Arrow or Hawkeye ish. Yeah, and another thing was that uh, during the issue, uh, there was like 
he did he accidentally let left Green Goblin alive because when he found out who he was, uh, he noticed that Norman Osborn had went to amnesia and right. forgot who he was. But he, he, Norman Osborn got to, to went through amnesia, but the Green Goblin persona didn't. So yeah, okay. the, Green Go- the Green Goblin persona took over and decided to do revenge, I mean, to revenge on Parker by trying to almost killing Gwen Stacy. And after Peter Parker saved Gwen Stacy and ended up killing Green Goblin, he, end- he decided to quit as Peter Parker because... He said that giving him giving um, villains second chances is what ruined his um, his love being. I mean, he's ruined the life of his loved ones getting hurt. So he decided to retire as a Punisher, and in the end, there's a the origin story of the Punisher happens. So and he was supposed to stop that that crime from happening, that the Punisher um, family getting killed by the mafia, he was supposed to stop that, but he decided not to. And it causes Frank Castle to become the Punisher, like take his mantle. Okay. So we're and getting, that's how it ends. So we're getting a ton of Punisher and a ton of Spider-Man in Marvel comics right now. Um, I would say more than the normal density that we're accustomed to. Uh, is that a good thing? So we, we've got the cosmic Punisher going on over in, I forget what book, that's maybe yeah. its own book. Um, it's a miniseries, yeah. Okay. So you've got that, they're showing up in What If, you've got the Punisher series reboot, which is remarkably good. Um, I think. In fact, I think I've added it to my recurring pull um, after kind of dropping it off, just because I didn't think that there was any way that, uh, that it would be that good again after uh, they, you know, ended the previous series. Um, do you think do you think we're getting a little uh, Spider Man and Punisher oversaturation right now, or are you okay with it? I'm okay with it. I'm not. I'm not sure it's oversaturation, but I'm okay with it so far. Okay, cool. Man. Yeah. So, so talk us through your honorable mentions. As I mentioned, I didn't have any. So. Um. All right. So my honorable mentions was Catwoman number four, Wonder Woman number fifty six, Kick Ass number eight. Ninja K number 12 and Red Hood, The Outlaw number 27. So any of those books uh, particularly stand out in, in any way that's worth uh, mentioning and going through at all? I really did like Wonder Woman number 56 because it's dealing with the Witching Hour crossover event. Okay. And there's okay. it's a lot of new uh, magic mythology. And I like how Wonder Woman is incorporated. And I noticed that James Tallien really humanizes a lot of characters like you wouldn't think of, like Man Bad. And he actually humanized Cersei in a way. I didn't think he would, he could, but yeah, she did it. And I thought that was interesting. All right, very cool. Let's go ahead and wrap up the show and let's carry everybody out by informing them of what we will be pulling next week and what we will be reviewing on next week's show. So I'm going to be pulling uh, Batman number 57, Justice League number 10, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man number 311. This is a new creative team walking on after the departure of Chip Zdarsky. Uh, I'll be reading the final issue of Millennium, The Girl Who Danced with Death, number 3. Uh, and then uh, also concurrently seeking a new uh, uh, ongoing series to put on my pull list in its place. Uh, 
Um, and then I'm going to read Maul number two over uh, by Scout Comics. So this will be the first time that I've read this issue. That actually the first time that I've checked out this uh, publisher. Um, I've got to kind of dig up some information on them because I'm not familiar with Scout Comics, but they apparently have um, a decent stable of uh, of ongoings going on right now. So uh, I will be finding out that information as well as reading that comic for reviews next week. Out of that, out of those polls. Uh, I'll be talking about Mall number two, uh, Spectacular Spider-Man number 311, and uh, Millennium, the girl who danced with death number three on next week's show. Uh, so, Stephen, what are you going to be pulling? And uh, if if you have, uh, have you identified which of those you're going to be talking about in the review segment of next week's show? Um, I'm going to be pulling Aquaman number 41, Justice number 10, Let's Leave Dark number four, Life of Captain Marvel number four. Lucifer number one, Mr. and Mrs. X number four, Iwing number 51, Old Man Logan number 49, and Pearl number three. I haven't decided what to review yet, but yeah, so I'm going to be picking up. Cool. So I think uh, just to uh, have something, some additional content for us to kick around next week, I will also pull. Aquaman number 41. Check out another bit of content by Mr. Dan Abnett, who we talked about this week. And I think... Yeah, because I noticed it's a crossover with Aquaman and Justice League. And I am also going to pull your Nightwing number 51, as I have been reading Batman. That is one of my recurring pulls. Uh, But I have not been reading Nightwing, and I know... That I heard there were some interesting things going on there. So I will give that a read as well, since cur- currently right now my, uh, my, my pulls, my weekly pulls are pretty light uh, with just five inches apiece, so I'll add a couple in there for us to kick around next week. So uh, anything else that you want to talk about tonight for this episode of What's Your Issue? No, not All really. Right. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for anybody who happened to join, swing by and join in on the live show, and anybody who uh, wanders by to check out the archive version of this on YouTube. I do want to say to the audio listeners out there, I've been looking at the metrics of the episode on SoundCloud and Pocket Cast. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for so many people who are swinging by to check out the show. It is highly appreciated. If you have any input for us, if you want to join the conversation, probably the best place to do that is you can always leave a comment uh, underneath the episode on the YouTube channel, uh, E2KG Network. But also, uh, feel free to follow us on Twitter, or even if you don't want to follow us, if you don't want to actually add us to your list, just give us just shout out to us in a mention on Twitter. It's at uh, E2KG Network on Twitter. Uh, if you have any feedback on any of the issues that we discussed, uh, or any of the topics that we go over, and you want to participate in the conversation. Uh, so, on behalf of Gearworks.com, the E2KG Network podcasting channel, the Rounding Off Infinity Gaming channel on YouTube, Stephen, Laura, and all the other co-hosts of the E2KG Network. My name is Minigastically Stabus. This has been What's Your Issue? Episode number two, discussing the comics that shipped the previous week of Wednesday, 10 October. That's going to close it out for us this week. Join us for next week's discussion of the comics that we mentioned in the rundown of what we'll be pulling. Thanks so much for joining the People's Weekly Comic Book Reviews Podcast. That's going to do it for us. We're out of here.